Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. I was in sixth grade when I first experienced God's silence, or we might say God's absence. I'd just been through something that if you grew up United Methodist, you probably went through in fifth or sixth grade called confirmation class. And in confirmation class, we had learned all about the Bible. We'd learned about a man named John Wesley. We'd learned about what it was to uh, put your faith in Jesus Christ. And we talked about being saved. And it was emphasized to us that being saved was not just intellectually believing in God, but it was praying to Jesus and giving Jesus your heart and trusting him to forgive you of your sins. And, I, I can say, and that when we did this, we were told we would get an assurance from God that our sins were forgiven and that we were right with God. And as a sixth grader, I tried very hard to pray the prayers I was told to pray. And I did so, and I didn't feel anything. And I thought, God, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Why, why aren't you here? Why, why aren't you talking to me? And uh, over time, I, I, gave, I gave up on that prayer. Uh, I, I felt if God was there, that God was telling me to wait, that God would talk in, in God's own time. And I, I had plenty of other things to worry about uh, in, in middle school, plenty of other insecurities to, to take care of uh, my attention and my time. And, and then I... I found uh, that I kind of lived the opposite life of what many teenagers do in the church. M many teenagers are very involved when they're young, and, and then as, as they get up into high school and they get a driver's license and they get a job, their attendance becomes more sporadic. Uh, I, I was the opposite. The, at the end of that season in, in middle school started a season when, uh, for numerous reasons, I wasn't as involved in church. And then th thankfully... Right about the time many of my peers were falling away from church, right about the time I got my driver's license, I had some good friends, and they had a good youth group, and they kept encouraging me, and they, they kept saying, you, you should come. And I became very involved. The most involved years in church of my teenage years uh, were my last years of high school. And it was during those years that I heard God speak. Uh, and I found that assurance that God had heard my prayers and continued to hear my prayers. And I knew for myself what it meant to be forgiven. And I knew for myself what it meant to be loved by Jesus Christ unconditionally. And to know that I know that I know that God was there with me, leading and guiding me. And I, I believe God spoke through that silence and that waiting so I could hear that in a way that I couldn't as a, as a seventh grader. And then naturally, because this is the way life goes, shortly thereafter, I went to college and God seemed completely absent again. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know many people in, at the college I went to. I, I, I went to church, but I didn't have a church for a, a while, a, a church where I was uh, connected. And God, who had seemed so close to me, once again seemed absent, seemed 
silent, and I wondered what to do. I told this to a friend of mine. He said, well, you know, after Jesus had that powerful experience being baptized at the Jordan River, uh, he got sent out to the wilderness for 40 days with the devil. Uh, Just be glad you got sent to a college campus with three all-you-can-eat cafeteria meals. (laughs) I think you came out a little better. And it was after a semester with three all-you-can-eat cafeteria meals that I found myself still feeling very distant from God. But somehow, during those three months, I'd continued to pray even though God had felt absent. And I wandered into my chaplain's office. And as a young man who was planning to be an engineer, I told my college chaplain, I think God might be calling me to ministry. A huge smile appeared on his face. And he said, oh, Will, that'll be great. And right then, it was like the Holy Spirit saying to me, you've heard correctly. Now just go and prepare. And all the the distance and the absence seemed to collapse in that moment. And the closeness seemed to, to rush back in. Sometimes God does God's greatest work in silence, in seeming absence. And as we go through this life, when we wonder, what do we do when God seems absent? It's important that we remember the testimonies of the, that the Bible teaches us, uh, like Jesus' experience in the wilderness to prepare him for his ministry. And as we've shared, you can uh, find a Bible reading plan that will take you through passages like this this week. Uh, and there, the, the new plans are, at, you can get September or October and November at the desk. You can, uh, outside in the lobby, you can also get them online at concordunited.org slash Bible. Uh, that we, we remember the Bible, we remember those who've come before us and what it tells us about times. Because we all have times. And if you haven't had a time in your life where God felt distant, where God felt silent, I want you to know if you live long enough, if you seek to journey and grow in faith long enough, those, those times do occur. They're part of the spiritual life. In fact, an important part, they, they can be a gift or they can drive us away. And that's why God's given us the testimony of those who've come before us to help us accept those as a gift. Because what we find is that God is never far from us, but we are often far from God. We, we often have our minds set on things that are not of God. Uh, we, we are looking elsewhere, and God is near, but we're not always aware, and we won't always be aware of how God is moving. Uh, we hear uh, this in Psalm 130 uh, that we shared together responsively today. I'd like to remind you of those words that we just read together. Uh, listen to this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Did you hear what King David says in that psalm? He says he waits, that he's crying out, uh, hear my voice. It's apparent 
that he's feeling far from God. And he said, I'll wait for you more than those who watch for the morning, more than those soldiers who stand guard, praying that there won't be an attack on their watch at night, praying that the sun, the sun will once again come up uh, and they will be able to see the, the enemy uh, lines and know that they have not been surprised in the night with an ambush. He says, I wait for you more than that, more than they hope for the sun to come up. I, I hope for you, and I hope that you will, just like sometimes it's dark uh, before the light, you will once again uh, speak after this season of silence, and I trust that you will do that. Uh, friends, if you find yourself going through a season where God seems silent or seems absent, I want you to know uh, that God's silence is an invitation to find God in a new place. I'll never forget my friend Elizabeth. I met Elizabeth when she was 96 year old, years old young. Uh, and she told me that she almost died 16 years previously. Uh, she said, uh, when I was 80, my husband of 60 years passed away. And at that point, my life was over and I prepared to die. I'd had a good life. There was nothing left for me in this life. I was ready to, ready to go. And so I prayed to God uh, that God would take me, and God didn't say a word. And God continually didn't say a word. And when, when God didn't say a word for several years, I decided that if God was going to leave me here, I should do something. And she said, through God's silence, I found my calling and her calling in her mid-80s uh, was to become one of the regular volunteers with the church children's ministry. And so she raised up what she called uh, her spiritual great-grandchildren. Uh, in uh, her, her latter years of life, she would often have them over to her house for tea, the, the girls at least. Uh, she was smart enough not to invite the boys for tea. Uh, but when I, when I last saw Elizabeth, it was her 101st birthday, and she was going on a helicopter ride. And the last words I can remember Elizabeth saying to me is, you know, it's funny. When you're 101, they don't make you sign a waiver. <laughs> I also remember celebrating Elizabeth's 100th birthday with her. I stopped by to see her at her apartment. And she was eagerly awaiting her 100th birthday dinner. And she'd been told that anything she wanted would be brought to her on that day. And she had ordered Kentucky Fried Chicken with mashed potatoes and green beans and those buttery biscuits. Because she said, if I can have anything, that's what I'd, I'd like. And she told me, she said, I never would have imagined how wonderful these past 20 years could be. I never, I thought God was gone. I thought life was over and I was just beginning a new chapter. God's silence was an invitation to find God in a new place. For us, it's the same thing. It might be a different circumstance, but it's an invitation to find God in a, in a new place. And so, sometimes when we feel God is silent, it's simply because circumstances have changed. It's uh, because uh, we have we're entering a new chapter of life. Sometimes we feel God is silent or absent 
because we're experiencing failure and we don't know what to do with failure. That seems to be the case for King David here. He says, O Lord, in verse 3 of Psalm 130, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. He's trusting that God's a God of grace. He's trusting that, that God will, will forgive him. And he's learning that that's the only way he'll find life again is through God's forgiveness. He reminds me of Steve. Uh, Steve was a young man I knew years ago. And his dream was to be in ministry to young people. He fell in love with a young lady who shared his commitment to youth ministry. And at their church, they volunteered together helping with the youth program. And Steve went ab about his life in, in such a way uh, that uh, he was preparing uh, to go into youth ministry full time and had everything lined up. And during the first years of his marriage, he realized that his wife was drinking a little bit more than he remembered when they dated. And she continued. And after a few more years, as he was involved in ministry, uh, she was a different person. And ultimately, uh, her addiction caused their marriage to fall apart. Well, he was in a denomination that wasn't understanding of divorce. So when he had to divorce her because of her addiction, he also lost his job and lost his career. And he said, I, I felt like a, a failure. He said, uh, my, my mistake was I, I chose somebody I guess I didn't know well enough. Or, or I'd, and I, I just felt like everything was failure. I'd lost my job. I'd lost my career. I'd lost my family. He reminds me a little bit of John Wesley. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, as you may remember, he came to, to Georgia. And John Wesley messed up in a much worse way. Uh, John Wesley was attempting to minister in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, if, if you ever go to Savannah, find the John Wesley statue in the public square. Uh, it's beautiful and it celebrates his ministry there. I'm not sure it mentions how he has run out of town with a warrant out for his arrest. Uh, but if you know the story of John Wesley in Savannah, he fell in love with a young lady named Sophie Hopke. And Sophie was ready to get married and John Wesley had cold feet. And John Wesley uh, failed to propose to her in a timely manner, so she found another young man that would. John Wesley was so hurt by this that the next Sunday after he found out of her engagement to another man, uh, refused to give her communion. Her father, being a bigwig in town, talked to the local sheriff and put out a warrant for his arrest for the refusal to give communion. Can you imagine calling 911 and being like, hey, my pastor didn't give me communion. Can you go pick him up? Right? Can you imagine how they talk? Well, it's a different day and age. John Wesley was terrified. All he'd ever wanted to do was be acceptable in God's sight, serve God, and, and courageously minister for God. So he did the most courageous thing he could think of. In the middle of the night, he stowed away on a ship back to England. Right? And he felt like a complete failure. He felt completely distant from God. 
And then as he uh, journeyed, he got in a storm. And this storm threatened to take down the ship. And he found out that he was terrified, that he didn't even have complete trust uh, that he would be with Christ in paradise forever if the ship went down. But he met other women, children, and men on the ship who did. And he said, I want a faith like that. And he went looking for a faith like that. And eventually, out of that great silence, God spoke. And God inspired him and showed him a faith that wasn't just in his head, but that was also in his heart. And a faith that caused him to see God's love, uh, not just for the rich and the well-off, but for all people. And to create a ministry that brought together uh, people of all classes across England and ultimately across America. Goodness gracious, how much we need a faith that brings together people once again uh, across class divides, across political divides, uh, across all the divides in our country and community. Oh, it was out of the silence and out of the failure that God worked that in John Wesley's life. In Steve's life, he wasn't able to continue the career path he thought. So I caught up with him a few years back on Facebook and messaged him to say I'd been thinking about him, wondered how he was. He was coaching. He'd become, he'd become a coach. And he told me, he said, this is better than I ever could have imagined. He said, I'm, I'm getting to do ministry, uh, but I'm getting to do it with boys who would never darken the door of a church. And I'm getting to do it with boys who have a very difficult background. And because I've been through hard times, I can relate better than I would have otherwise. And I could, I could never imagine how great this would be. And by the way, he has a, a beautiful, wonderful, and loving uh, family to, today. But it was out of that failure that he learned a lesson, that John Wesley learned a lesson, that we all learn a lesson, that failure is an invitation to find our worth in amazing grace, not accomplishment and acquisition. Failure is an invitation to find our worth in God's amazing grace, not our own accomplishment, not what we can acquire, but that grace that sees us through. So sometimes when we feel God is absent, it's because God is being silent, so we'll look for God in a new place. Sometimes it's because we failed and subconsciously we've begun to relate God to our own success and God saying, no, you won't find me in success, you'll find me in grace. And then other times, it's because we've experienced injustice. And we just don't know how God could let the world be the, the way it is. Jesus told us to expect a world like this uh, in a passage you're probably familiar with. In Matthew 5, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have do not even tax collectors do the same? He's telling us that in those times of injustice, God's at work. And there's actually a gift even within that injustice. Injustice is also an invitation. When we go through times where we see things in this world that aren't right, when we go through times where we realize that to be faithful to God means to take a loss rather than a gain. We have to remember, injustice is an invitation to love unselfishly. Injustice is an invitation to love even when it means losing, not winning. Injustice 
is an invitation to love as God loves and to see how God loves our enemies and our adversaries. So often, even we as Christians falls into the, the, fall into the ways of the world. Uh, we, we love to see our adversaries. We, we just love to see them humiliated. Uh, we, we love to see them get what they deserve. Uh, there, there were some of us who loved to see that happen at Neyland Stadium yesterday, right? Um, the, and the, in things like sports, that's somewhat acceptable. Uh, in life, it's not. Because in life, it's not in good fun. Uh, in, in life, we can carry around grudges uh, that eat us up from the inside out. In life, sometimes we can be the people that God wants to send to our adversaries to share God's love with them but we can decline God's invitation to be that kind of person. Uh, remember when uh, the apostle Paul, before he, before he became an apostle, uh, when he was just a man known as Saul who'd been persecuting Christians? Remember, he goes, he's blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and they take him to a man named Ananias. And Ananias is a Christian that God wants to use to heal Paul's sight and to help Paul find faith in Jesus Christ. And Ananias' first words are, no, I don't want anything to do with that guy, right? I can't stand that guy. You remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. God says, you go preach to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, sir. Uh, those people need to get what's coming to them. In fact, Jonah, I just love Jonah's honesty. He says, I'll tell you, God, why I don't want to go preach to them. Because you're a God of grace. You're a God of forgiveness. And I don't want them to know. I don't want them to have the chance to be forgiven. Because they're bad folks. Folks, I want you to know that I pray every day by name for Vladimir Putin. I don't think he's beyond God's grace. I think he's committing some of the most evil acts we've seen in a long time. I don't think he's beyond God's grace. I pray every day uh, for the people in my life who, you know those people that you think about them and your blood pressure goes up? I pray every day for those people. I think it's a gift God's given us with injustice. And yes, we should be at work to make the world a more fair, more just place, but we should also realize that God's created the world uh, where the rain will fall on the evil and the good and where invitation is a, or injustice is an invitation to love unselfishly. So as we look at why God, why God sometimes do we feel you absent, I believe it's because God's giving us an opportunity to grow in faith, to grow in faith. This faith that requires listening when we'd rather ignore confessing our sins when we'd rather justify them, and loving when we'd rather hate. So the next time God feels absent, I want you to ask yourself a question. Do I need to listen now when I'd rather just ignore and go on with my life? Is it time for me to listen? Could God be speaking through this silence to help me see God in a new place? Do I need to confess have I been justifying myself? My friend I told you about uh, who was in youth ministry, he, he could have easily said, well, this is all her fault. She's the one who got the addiction. 
I don't have to look inside myself and see anything that I might have done or could have done or how I was a part of how all this came about. He didn't do that. He, he said, I, I know I probably played a role and I need God to help me see. Confess when we'd rather justify. And when you have those people that you see committing evil acts or that make your blood pressure go up, who you feel are your adversaries or your enemies, to love when we'd rather hate. And if, if we do that, I believe that we will come to a time and a season in our lives where we will look back on God's seeming silence, our God's seeming absence, and we will say, thank you, God, because I could not have known you as well without journeying through this season. I could not have loved as you loved me without going through these challenges and finding you within them. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have never ignored us, that though we might experience your silence, you never fail to hear our prayers, that though we might fail time and time again in the same ways over and over, your grace is sufficient and you never fail to forgive and to redeem we give you thanks that when we've been given every good reason to hate, that the way you've loved us provides enough power to teach us to love our neighbors and our enemies, that in our lives, the life of Jesus Christ might be seen. We pray this in his holy name, and we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.